Welcome back to Don't Call It a Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Dan. We've got a pretty special episode today. Dan and I are actually together this time. We're in the same room. In the same room. So there's going to be a lot of hijinks that you don't see because... This is a podcast? Yeah. But uh, trust us, it's going to be very epic. (laughs) I am also... have had a fever for four days. So if I start deliriously saying random things... That's probably why. Yes, uh, we wrote up Luke's will last night. Um, well, I wrote up Luke's will last night. So yeah, I think he came out very well in it. Um, before we talk about the book, as promised in the last episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about our Aragon movie slash screenplay. Yeah, we've we've had two weeks to work on this because of the break, so. We're getting ready for a pitch to a major company, a right. major studio. Uh, so we figured we'd flesh out the story a little bit. Uh, something else we figured we'd do, which I'm doing right now, is setting a timer for 10 minutes. Uh, because if we don't do this, we'll talk about this for the whole episode. <laughs> right. So you have our word. It will not be longer than 10 minutes. Also, if you haven't read... The Inheritance Cycle by Christopher Paolini. Skip 10 minutes. Yeah. It won't be interesting for you. No. Also, we will ruin it, I think. (laughs) Probably, yeah. Uh, Starting now. All right. So we talked about the basic idea for this movie last week. Yeah. I I brought up the idea for a trailer. And in the trailer, the story from the end of... The inheritance cycle was ahead like 500 years or something. Something very far in the future. Just, yeah. I I think I said a thousand, but it doesn't matter. Right. And so Luke set up this this idea of two groups that are like fighting. And one of them has to seek out Aragon to kind of save the day, essentially. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. Right. So the things that I'm thinking of that we need to like flesh out a little bit for this story are who are the two groups and okay. why are they fighting? And so so I I think I brought up a couple like just original thoughts on this uh-huh. when I first did it in our last episode. Right. But I know you wanted to take a break to talk about it so that you could come up with some theories. What do you do you have thoughts on that? Yes, I definitely have thoughts on that. So I think if we imagine the world of Algasia and Dragon Riders what group naturally lends itself to like dominating everyone else there's a few that come to mind right so we've got like you go ahead and give an example elves right elves are way more powerful than everybody else it could be the elves another group that's way more powerful than everyone else are the dragon riders right and that was kind of the story of the inheritance cycle is one of the dragon riders became a dictator essentially but what happens what if we have the entire council of dragon riders being the bad guy in this one? Ooh. Right? So I think the elves elves are a decent candidate. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think the elves are it's almost like too racial, right? So there's already like conflicts with the elves and the dwarves and the humans 
because of their racial differences, but dragon riders are of any race. And I feel like the dragon riders, given a really long period of time, could become much more powerful than the elves could. Sure. So, however, so originally dragon riders were independent of the races, right? So they formed their own council. But what if the what if the elves like the dragon riders who were elves teamed up with the elves and then basically i want to get dragons fighting each other okay is what i'm trying to figure out how to get to okay. work because if aragon comes in and starts fighting i want him and Safira to be fighting up more dragons sure okay um and if it's just the elves then yeah it's it's cool but you know what's cooler than a billion dollars <laughs> dragons fighting fair um i think so that's probably fair that that would be cool my original vision which is subject to change was the idea that like magic has kind of faded away mm-hmm. which would be not really viable with a yeah. dragon rider situation that's a good point. um but I'm not that attached to that. One thing that I am kind of attached to is that, like, the idea that Aragon is an unknown. Like, people, mm, people, yeah. there's, there's, like, rumors of this legend that's out in the desert somewhere, mm-hmm. right? And they don't know what it is, but they know it will help them. And they go and find Aragon. That's something that I'm kind of attached to. But I could see the Dragon Riders thing working out with this mm-hmm. because it could be almost like... They've squashed the memory of Aragon mm-hmm. on purpose. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think I figured out how to make these two things work. So, the end of the inheritance cycle, it's revealed that Galbatorix is trying to eliminate magic from the world. And it seems like Aragon and everybody stop him. What if they didn't stop him, but they just slowed down what he was trying to do? So, like, Galbatorix initiated this process wherein magic is draining from the world and the current dragon riders are trying to hide it from people because they're afraid of the fact that if people realize it was a dragon rider who was the one who is or who is the reason for why magic is leaving the world then they'll turn on the dragon riders and try and eliminate them and so like as almost like a preemptive strike the dragon riders have been eliminating all the like records of what happened back then and kind of trying to control things so people don't find out it was actually a dragon rider who's the cause of magic leaving the world. And at the same time, I imagine the dragons and the dragon riders would be suffering considerably from this, the impact of this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like it. I like it. One question that I think we need to talk about is, does Aragon have to die? I mean, some at some point. I think he does have to die. Oh, no. <laughs> so here's, okay. here's my right. thoughts on the, how this happens. Yeah. So, again, I mean, we've already said it, but spoilers on the end. <laughs> on the yeah. ending. Yeah. Um, in the ending, Aragon learns the name of the ancient language, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And he essentially has... To, I don't think the main reason he left 
but he has to leave partially at least because he doesn't want anyone else having that kind of power because right. it's like if you know the name of the ancient language you're like no one can do anything against you right we um, saw that with galvatorix right so i think in order to whatever aragon needs to do he needs to use the name of the ancient language to do it in this movie and then he has to kill himself because he doesn't want anyone else knowing it man so you think you don't think the act of using the ancient language becomes the thing that kills him but you think he chooses to kill himself right. because of the ancient language so so my my thoughts on this are that aragon is like way more powerful than anyone in this movie yes yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. so the only way he i think he needs to die and i think the only way he could conceivably die is to kill himself which will be Jeez. wild um because there's also the thing of a big part of, or like a big subplot of the Aragon books is that he's not allowed to return to Allegasia mm-hmm. after he leaves, which has to play a role in that. Um, so I, I think that's the way we get around that. So I like this a lot, but we're forgetting about something. Okay. What happens to Thorn and Murtag? Thorn and Murtag at the end of the inheritance cycle ride off to the north. They've got to like go brood for a while and deal with the fact that they were like tortured. Right. But they were there with Galvatorix at the end. And they definitely didn't just die in the intervening time. Right. So how do they how do they come into the story? Because if they would be the conceivably the only ones to match Aragon in power. And I imagine they would because they were matching him in power. Yeah. Near the end. That's tough. I forgot about that. Right. I know. Well, and see, I was thinking that maybe they come back and it seems like they're going to be siding with the whoever the enemies are. Mm-hmm. Right. Whoever the the side that Aragon isn't on the side. Right. Of. I But... I, just, I don't think that's part of their character arc. I don't like that either. <laughs> and so then I was thinking maybe at the end when Aragon is dying, it seems very like hopeless and it seems like everything is done. Like Aragon dying is going to doom the cause of this like people that are having trouble and maybe like Murtag and Thorn come in like right at that moment. They, they swoop in and it's another huge surprise thing? Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. So they swoop in and there's this like moment between Aragon and Murtag where they're like, yeah, it's like it's like maybe Murtag is like part of the ending, and you don't know who he is yet. And then he says something along the lines of the Aragon's his brother. Yeah, and then it's like, oh shit, that's Murtag. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I like it. Um, that that can be something that we talk about more on next time because we're running out of time. Yeah, we've got thirty seconds left. <laughs> One thing I also wanted to just briefly say, since we've got very little time left, I've got another thought on the uh, pre- the preview that I was talking about. Uh huh. So last time I said it was going to be a um, monologue. Yes. I'm thinking instead of a monologue, it's Aragon talking to Saphira, but you can't hear Saphira. Yeah, yeah, So yeah, like yeah. in the preview, you, you kind of think he's going crazy. And then finally he does his little move and you're like, oh shit, that's Aragon. Okay. okay that's time. time. That's very dope. Uh, <laughs> next time we will be locking down that story, I think. I think mm-hmm. we're pretty close at this point, honestly. We'll be locking that down and then kind of finalizing the trailer. Yeah. So 
Yeah, we've made some moves today. Get excited for that. Uh, but uh, I think we're warmed up. Yeah. I'm, I'm sufficiently hyped I'm, up. I'm, yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we should probably start talking about about the Game of Thrones. Right. Uh, Clash of Kling. Clash, ah, Clash of Kings. Um, so we're halfway through. Yeah. We've just finished a Sansa chapter. Yes. We've just finished the Sansa chapter. I don't know this chapter number. We've just finished the Sansa chapter where I think she talks to Tyrion for a while. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Tyrion and Sansa have a good chat. Yeah. Um, so I- I'm going to start, Luke. Okay. How does it, how does everyone not immediately murder the Black Brothers who are taking them to the wall and just leave? Wait, what do you mean? All right. So, for some reason, when you become a Black Brother, the only thing you do is, like, wear black. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, if I've abandoned my post at the wall, and I'm like, oh. yeah, this sucks... The first thing I'm doing is changing clothes. Yeah. Okay. Then what? What happens? <laughs> I, I mean, I think maybe like there's some effort to, you know, put like spread that this person like left. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I I agree with you that that has to be not very effective. It can't be because right. how, especially if you're not a famous person. No, so, or if you don't have any really obvious identifying marks. <laughs> like I think the very first black brother that was that was killed at the very beginning of a Game of Thrones had no ears or something like that. Something mm-hmm. very obviously, something that very obviously distinguished him, and he was still wearing all black, which is like, dude, that's a rookie mistake, right? But I was thinking this as. Yorin is taking everybody up this road where there's just like streams of refugees pouring down from the north. And it seems like Yorin is taking more people than he has black brothers to like support him in taking up to the north. Otherwise, like it would be super inefficient for them to send more black brothers than people who were going to join the watch to go up to the north. And so they just have to kill him and leave i mean or like or just run away right like he's not gonna follow them right and he's he'll he'll probably say something like oh they'll murder him but how do they know you just don't go back to the place that arrested you right just you're fine (laughs) yeah i think there's i think there's some like things about this system that would be very easily taken advantage of what And my thing about it is it would not be hard for them to identify somebody as a lifelong member of the, the night's watch. Because all you have to do is like, you have, you get a like tattoo when you get up there. Right. Yeah. Like a, and it could be a dope tattoo. A face tattoo. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, It's a face tattoo. Uh, Or you could like, now this is not as cool, but you could like brand them. They're already criminals anyway, and most of them are doomed to die. They'd probably be like, yeah, fine. I'll, I've, if I'm going to go up there anyway, I'll take a brand. Yeah. That's fine. But but even people who have been up there for a long time, as soon as it's like, yeah, this is not worth it, it sounds like nobody leaves. 
but why yeah i don't that's a good point um i don't know i didn't have an answer to this either the only thing i can think of is they have detailed sketch artists that they send out a raven with like the face of the person i mean yeah that and so i I think there's two arguments one is that the um the night's watch knows that this is an issue so they just like prosecute anyone that leaves very hard Mm. so that you know if you leave they're gonna spend a lot of resources to catch you sure the um the other thing is so People that are, like, famous or, like, born, high-born yeah, that yeah. do this would probably not be able to get away with it because people know who they are. Right, right. People that are not high-born would be able to get away with it because no one knows who they are. Right. But maybe they don't because, like, life kind of sucks <laughs> <laughs> if you're not part of the Night's Watch and you're, like, a peasant. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. So maybe people, they just, like, don't want to. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I can say to that point is as soon as you see zombies walking around murdering people, <laughs> you'd probably be like, yeah, I'll take my chances in the woods. Yeah, that's fair. The other thing I'm thinking, so I think it would be really easy to do this during a time of war and chaos. It would be really easy when there's a bunch of refugees already fleeing from the north to do this and there's, like, instability in the in the realm. But, I mean, when there's, like, a powerful government at Winterfell, Winterfell seems to be the the place that stops these people from getting past them. Right. And it seems like Ned Stark is the one who used to be stopping people from abandoning the wall. But as soon as these, like, institutions break down, then it's just, like, pure chaos. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm interested to see if they start talking about people abandoning the night's watch i wouldn't be surprised if it was like yeah we lost another 10 people today because they just ran off yeah i don't know maybe we'll see um so autumn has now started i think they say they actually do say autumn yep um i don't know how long autumn is for them but there's one part where they're so they're talking about how much food to start storing yeah yeah, yeah. and they're like yeah i started when they said autumn been storing like one fifth and they like try to convince him to do one fourth it's like you haven't been storing food <laughs> you start during autumn i f- i feel like you start you just store food during the summer right right because you, you have like a nine year summer there's no way normally in our world we have like four three months of summer and we store food or i mean we don't but <laughs> you store food the peasants do right <laughs> people would store food to last the winter yeah but you have a like eight year summer you're making way too much food start storing some of that early so that you can like survive the winter no 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 no, no Luke. they just have a lot of feasts oh my god here's this is something else that bugs me about the seasons being weird in a song of ice and fire is our growing and harvesting seasons go in line with the seasons of the earth. So we grow things in the summer, we harvest them in the autumn, and then we eat the harvest in the winter. That's like how our cycles go. But if your summer is nine years long, it doesn't take nine years to grow wheat. 
Right. Wheat grows. Oh, shoot. No, Luke. No. This is what has to happen. It's got to take that long for wheat to grow. But otherwise, you're going through like a bunch of cycles of wheat. And then why would you start harvesting in autumn? You're harvesting all summer. Harvest doesn't depend on the season at this point. If wheat grows the same, if plants grow the same as they do in our world, you don't, autumn isn't the time for harvest. It's just another time. Right. So, I mean, yeah, you're harvesting in autumn, but you're also harvesting in the summer. So yeah, you should be, you should, yeah, you should be storing all through summer. Because I'm assuming it's just like a con- like almost a constant harvest. Right. That's what I imagine as well. Um, and the other thing about that is you don't know how long autumn's going to be. And the reason why we grow in the summer is because everything grows really well. Right. And in the autumn, there's less sun. Dude, it's flat. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's It's got to be flat because... <laughs> If if there was less sun in the autumn, then their harvest would be less effective and they would be getting less yield while they were harvesting in the autumn, getting ready for the winter, which is supposed to be long and dark and you're definitely not growing anything in the winter. So that would mean if, they, if their plan was to just save everything from the autumn, they're getting way less. Yeah, they're not getting anything. They are, I mean, maybe they're just idiots. But. Yeah, but they've survived this long. <laughs> right. And they've been like, their winters are years long. And they don't seem that worried about it. They Like when the person's like, yeah, we've been doing about a one-fifth right now. We started in autumn. We're doing about one-fifth saving. And the guy's like, eh, maybe maybe do one-fourth. You know, that'd be nice. And they're like, okay, fine. Whereas if I'm in this situation, I'd be like, dude, you should be doing all of it. <laughs> we have literally no idea how long the winter's going to be. It could be a year. It could be... 50 years there have been stories of whole generations dying without ever seeing a summer yeah and this is the same thing about the autumn everybody should be freaking out constantly yeah i know okay luke what happened to the comet oh it's not discussed in this section very much is it we it they just stopped talking about it but then i don't remember them ever saying that it's gone. That it's right. gone. And, to, like, I get it if it would be... It would be really annoying if every chapter they were like, the bright red comet illuminated my way. It's like, yeah, we get it. There's a comet. Yeah. But we... It would probably be a big deal when it wasn't there anymore. Yeah. And, you, I mean, you would think that it would be kind of faded out. You know? Right. Like, it'd be like, oh, it's gotten farther away. Or it's getting... Because, it, okay... The last section, it was getting brighter. Oh, yeah. Right. So, I, yeah, I feel like it would be mentioned as soon as it starts getting dim. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe we just missed it, but I don't think so. Right. Or, I mean, it could also be that everyone just got sick of talking about this <laughs> comet. And it's like, yeah, whatever. It's it was going to be there. It was discussed a lot. Um <laughs> So we'll we'll see if it gets talked about more. So I love little like when I find something that's really small detail about a character, and it like really seems to fit. So for example, Hot Pie, the the little baker boy that's uh-huh. with Arya. Uh huh. There's a line 
when he's when I think it's like Aria, Hot Pie, Gendry, and the, like Lonnie one other or whatever yeah. his name is. Yeah, and they're doing their like running in chaos kind of thing. Right, and <laughs> Hot Pie says something, and it's like, and Aria's like. He said it too loudly. He he kept talking too loudly, no matter how loud or no matter how many times we told him to stop talking so loud. And I thought that was so perfect for Hot Pie. <laughs> Just like the idea of him being not able to control volume when he knows he should be whispering. is <laughs> just like such a good little character point that is not significant at all, but I loved it. Right. It, it just characterizes him so well as like kind of an idiot, but not in a way that's like mean he just doesn't understand what he's doing like he can't control his own body in a way yeah yeah i sympathize with that a good amount (laughs) Tyrion goes and orders no he doesn't order cersei goes and orders a bunch of wildfire yeah at one point and Tyrion goes down to inspect it and we learn a little bit about what wildfire is and it's this like liquid that is extremely flammable and will stay lit kind of no matter what and it like is really volatile it just seems like a very dangerous thing and the context that it's presented is like this is a really cool war thing we can use this to fight people there have got to be other uses for this stuff right yeah like, i mean Go ahead, yeah. I mean, this is, like, when you think of, I guess maybe it's just thought of as super dangerous, which is maybe why people don't use it, but you could make it, you could make a less intense version of it, right? Like, dilute it a little bit? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, the the analogy that I think of a lot is dynamite, or like nitroglycerin. Mm-hmm. I'm sure when somebody first created that, they're like, oh, we could blow some people up so big so in such a major way. And then somebody else was like, no, 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 hold on. I'd like to make a railroad through the mountains. <laughs> and they're like, oh, a railroad. Okay. And then Industrial Revolution happened. Because of dynamite. Because of dynamite. <laughs> I'm upstanding by that. Yeah. I mean, that's totally fair. Like, I th- I think we talked about this in another book or another discussion where just there's always, like, magic or other things that are only used for, like, war. Oh, yeah, 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 we definitely have. But I don't know. I could see this being used for tons of things. Well, and it's even alluded to the fact that he, so when Tyrion goes to the alchemists who are able to produce this, they have these, like, torches that they've lit for him when he enters that are using this wildfire and light up this whole like room in a pretty cool way but he all he also does mention that it's really expensive and they probably put the fires out as soon as he leaves but like there's got to be another use for this (laughs) right yeah um if you have any ideas for uses for wildfire other than lighting ships on fire uh go ahead and tweet go ahead and tweet at us yeah uh what what hashtag are we gonna go with, Luke? Um. Uh, hashtag practical wildfire. Oh, that's very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tweet us uh, at DC at a BC. 
Hashtag practical wildfire. <laughs> okay, I've got another thing to talk about. Yeah. That this is more of a broad that's not just applied to this story. Like, main characters, or not necessarily main characters, but like important characters that are talked about often, are always better fighters than everyone else. And I'm sick of it. Example. Uh huh. Yorin, the guy that's leading the recruits for the Night's Watch. Yeah. When they get attacked and they like look for his body, yeah. they find him and there's like five guys that he's killed around him. It's like, I don't think that Yorin, like, okay, sure, maybe I could see him being a good fighter, but like he's fighting against professional sol- soldiers. Yeah. And. They probably circled him. Right. They definitely overwhelmed him. It was dark. But they he were on kills horses. five of them. And like... <sighs> well, that wasn't all. He killed way more before that. Right, right. It was just after they infiltrated the Holdfast, then he killed five of them that were surrounding his right, body. Right, Because there's five bodies around him. Yeah. And Arya was like, oh, Yorin definitely killed these guys too. Yeah. It's like... Which... Okay. I mean... There's a case for, like, maybe Yorin's just surprisingly an amazing fighter. Yeah. But this is, happens, con- like, everywhere. Yeah, but then, I mean, you have characters like Lamy, or Lori, whatever the guy was that got stabbed in the throat, <laughs> that, like, couldn't do anything. And Hot Pie, who we got a lot of Hot Pie. Hot Pie is, like, a complete coward. Right. An idiot. Uh, I, I do think a lot of the characters that we see are way better at fighting than the average person yeah right a lot of characters that are leaders are better at fighting than anyone else i uh, so okay i see i can kind of see the point where like this is alluded to in the first book when john goes up to the wall and he's way better than everyone else right because like he's had training yeah yeah but a lot of time it's like these like yorin for example kills five professional soldiers while they're trying to overwhelm him it's like these are professional soldiers that presumably have had a decent amount of training. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. It just seems like I would believe I I'm sure that the average like highborn or important person is a better fighter yeah. than the average soldier. Yeah. 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 But not that much better. <laughs> I don't think Yorn is highborn. Right, right. He's right. not highborn, but he's like a relatively important person at the Night's Watch. Right, right. But granted, he's not relatively important because he can fight well. Right. <laughs> this is a great point. Uh, in fact, I think even like a highborn, you like you would have to be a magnificent highborn fighter, I think, to take out as many people as Yorin did, unless the army that he's fighting is just so bad. Right? Maybe this... And I'm going to say something that kind of goes against one of the theories that I have proposed, Luke. But maybe Yorin saw this this army come up to the Holdfast. And he was like, yeah, I think we could take him. <laughs> maybe he saw him ride up and they were riding like raggedy ponies. <laughs> and they, they look like 12 years old. You know? And Yorin was like, I know we've got like a... 12 year old like a nope a 10 year old girl 
that has like a little fencing rod, like a fencing <laughs> stick, fencing sword. I don't know what the name of that is. And like most of the people here can't really fight at all, but I think I could take a lot of these people. <laughs> yeah. Right? And maybe maybe Rob needs to hear that. Yeah, I mean, I think he kind of partially does because mm. he there's kind of near the end of this section. Actually, yeah, the last chapter of the section, we hear that he has rode to, it's like somehow gotten to the most recent Lannister army and just like destroyed them. Right, absolutely and, decimated And I think them. it's Tyrion that's like, I mean, yeah, he killed them really easily, but like they all sucked. <laughs> right, and Tyrion makes this comment like, but when he fights my dad, oh man, there's yeah. going to be trouble. It's like, Tyrion, maybe you don't know. Maybe your dad was like... <laughs> Maybe your dad scrounged the dungeons and was like, I just need anybody, please. Right, right. And I don't know, maybe Tywin's lost his touch. You think I, so? I don't know. I mean, we haven't seen him. There was one battle that he did. Right. But Rob planned that to be a loss. Right, and Rob's been killing it. Like, I don't know. Could be, Luke. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I mean, the short answer, Luke is it makes for a way more interesting story when everyone sounds dope. Yeah. Right? That's like true. when Yorin killed five people, I was like, oh, Yorin was so sweet. Yeah. And otherwise, if it had just been like, yeah, Yorin got axed to the face and they dragged his body around for a while, it would be like, oh, Yorin sucks. You know? How. Okay, I'm changing gears a little bit. Sure. All right, so they start going out beyond the wall with. Jon Snow and Sam Tarly for some reason. And they get to Craster's Keep. Craster's that old guy that has like 19 wives that are all his like daughters, which is not great. And we're not going to talk about that very much. But at a certain point, Jon's like, how does Craster hold this place? <laughs> and he kind of says it to himself. <laughs> But I'm like, John, you should probably ask Lord Marmot that. <laughs> yeah. Because that is a serious question we need answered. How the hell does Craster hold... He's the only fighter there. And he makes that very clear. How does he hold his house against what the people from the south... Like, the people beyond the wall... Well, the people in the... The people the, in, like... The wildlings. The wildlings seem extremely dangerous or at least some of them seem extremely dangerous like they come south of the wall and do raiding parties and they seem to be just like they'll take whatever they can get but craster is able to hold off like bands of wildlings that it yeah. takes rangers to fight off because because i think presumably well it's definitely heavily talked about that there's not many allegiances among the wildlings right so it's like it's not like people are just not going to attack him because they're like, oh, yeah, he's cool. They're going to attack him because he has resources right. that I assume they need pretty badly. A lot of people will need. And, <clears throat> I mean, he's pretty old. Uh -huh. I, I think he brags about, like, recently some people came up and wanted him to join, to, like, start marching north and join. Yeah the king in the north yeah or or 
the wildling king like mance raider i think yeah yeah and he's like yeah and then i like took out his tongue and they were on their way it's like a i don't think that's true <laughs> and b if it is true why didn't they just kill you right you're it's just you so I, maybe i mean maybe he's got something else going on maybe or he's just really good at deception so when they first ride up there's a freshly killed bear skull that's at the front gate which is a clear message to the lord commander of the night's watch because his sigil is a bear Mm -hmm. and he's from bear island so it's like okay craster is kind of like making a little dig at lord marmot and kind of threatening him a little bit um well okay okay other thing how does he know that they're coming (laughs) is he the scout you know that's a that's a good point. Is Mormont running around the forest all day by himself? Because I'm assuming his daughter wives are not. I maybe that's where we're wrong. I mean, maybe that's where we're underestimating him. Is maybe maybe they are the ones like running the show. Maybe they're the ones running the show. So I thought, okay, I knew we were going to come up with a theory here. I didn't know whether we were going to go this route. I thought we were going to go, he has some kind of magic. I don't, I don't think he does. Well, the other reason, so there's a lot of reasons why the wildlings would want to kill this guy. He also helps the crows whenever they come around, which is like, that seems like that would be an automatic death sentence. Right. For the wildlings. So they've got a one and dead. You, I don't think magic. I think the deception is that his wives are all helpless and he is like the commander at Craster's Keep. But I think what might actually be true is the wives run the shit and mm-hmm. he is like the figurehead. He's the one who talks because they know it's going to take a man to talk to people to get them to do stuff. And... In this society, obviously not. (laughs) Obviously not in real life. That's ridiculous. (laughs) But so they have him as the figurehead for their little camp. And which which is also effective because when they're distracted by the dude, 19 women can come up and just stab whoever like has a problem. Right. Which 19, when you get to like 19 people, then it's like, that's a pretty formidable force. I doubt that the wildlings are coming around in a band of more than like 10 or 12. Right. So, 19 versus 10, that's pretty good odds, I'd say. I say we go with that the wives run the shit. I like it. I like that theory. I mean, I think there are problems with that theory. Yeah, there's a lot of problems with that theory. But we're not going to talk about those problems. We're just going to, I don't know. I think the way we get around it is it's just, it's all a big act. And so whenever it looks like Craster is being a misogynistic creep, the wives have just told him to do that because that's the only explanation that you could have for why right. it would look the way that it does just riding up. Yeah, because also he would have had to kill a bear and he would probably would have been out for a while killing the bear. Like one of the wives killed the bear and put it up. Yeah. And it's a, oh shoot, it's a warning to the Black Brothers to stay away from the wives. Like obviously Craster has warned them to do that, but this is like, the wives also could be especially aware of the fact that 
they're vulnerable mm-hmm. there's a lot of men around mm-hmm. and so they're like watch yourself yeah especially when you consider how craster is always like don't even talk to one of them right yeah. right okay um there's a giant hole in this theory but we're, we're definitely not going to talk about it and that's the person that talks to sam yeah um although it could just be another part of the deception i mean that or just like she maybe is just not on board with yeah, all okay. the things that the wives are doing which that's probably fair um okay i'm gonna take us in a different direction okay take us south we're gonna go south we're gonna go to catlin yes catlin doesn't give a fuck about rickon <laughs> Catelyn hasn't said Rickon's name one time. Rickon has not been killing it. <laughs> Honestly, she doesn't care about Rickon or Bran. <laughs> she has she has two young children. One of them is has now turned nine and is crippled. The other one is like four and is like going crazy. And she's like, no, no. I You know, I'd love to be with them, but my place is with my nearly adult son who is a king (laughs) and doesn't really need me (laughs) and has like told me that several times he's kind of been like yeah i can figure this out on my own mom please don't come in my council (laughs) you make me look weak mom yeah and she's like are you sure you guys don't want some like i don't know pizza rolls (laughs) you're you're doing okay yeah all right well if you need a ride anywhere let me know it's like mom i'm 16 i can drive myself right i mean like I guess you can make the argument that she is useful in terms of, like, she might have been the correct person to send to Renly, but not by a large margin. Luke, she's not even that. Okay, yeah, I agree with you. You know why she's not even that? I have a really good reason why she's not even that. Okay, give me a reason. She goes to Renly and Stannis and sees they're about to fight, and she decides they should make peace. In that peace discussion, they're like, yeah, we're going to kill your son because he's claiming to be the king. So he's got to either kneel or we're going to defeat him too. And she's like, all right, well, you should still not fight because there's other enemies to take care of. And it's like, no, Catelyn, you let him fight. (laughs) Why are you trying to stop a battle between enemies of, like, two of your son's big enemies are trying to kill each other. And you're like, don't do that. Yeah, especially when you consider... At this in in this situation, like the Lannisters are a big enemy, yes. If Rinley is saying that I'm going to come kill you after I kill the Lannisters, I'm going to say he's a bigger threat than the Lannisters. Yeah, because it's maybe less immediate, but I don't even know if that's true. But like he has a larger force, and Rob has kind of been doing pretty well against the Lannisters. Yeah. Yeah, this is exactly true. And if we do a little quick math, Ooh. Renly claims he has like 100,000 foot soldiers that are headed towards King's Landing, I think. And Stannis has like 5,000 cavalry and probably way less foot soldiers that are surrounding Ren- just Renly's cavalry, which I think he says is like 20,000 anyway. And so if we think of the order of who's the biggest threat, it's like Stannis is at the bottom right now. Mm-hmm. Stannis has like no troops and is trying to take on Renly. And Renly's like, yeah, this could end badly for me, but like, I'm definitely going to destroy Stannis. But Renly would take some, 
some pretty subs like some losses right and then renly's also going to try and take king's landing which is going to cost him a little bit more as well and if renly is already a little weakened when he tries to take king's landing then you have tywin being like "Uh oh i gotta turn around and help out king's landing now i guess the argument could be that if you get stannis and renly to team up then tywin is going to be much more concerned about them but like so is rob right it sounds like at this point getting rid of stannis is going to be good for rob because stannis is no longer going to be coming after rob and good for like reducing renly's numbers right so like let them fight (laughs) why why won't you let them fight catelyn yeah catelyn catelyn thinks she's way like wiser than she is yeah i mean i think catelyn has a similar problem with ned where I think that's where Catelyn's different than Ned, but I think Catelyn has this sense of like honor. Like mm-hmm. she doesn't think that they should fight because it's not right. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, yeah, don't fight guys. It's not a good thing, but like, it's a, not a good political move. Right. I think, yeah, I think she's, she thinks she's way better politically than she actually is. Cause the political move would be like goading one of them on to fight the other one in a way that's at their disadvantage. Right. It would be, the really good move would be to get her to like get Renly to fight Stannis at a disadvantage. It would be like, oh, you should charge him late at night and then tell Stannis about it ahead of time so that they have just this massive bloody battle <laughs> that they lose so many troops from. But like, I can't think of why she doesn't want them to fight aside from the fact that it's like not a cool thing. Yeah. I, I don't know. She's yeah. Can go home. Yeah, and th- so that brings us back to, like, she, she should just be in Winterfell. Like, okay, you could, you could make, I, I can see the argument, like, oh, well, I don't know, if she, if she was a man, you wouldn't be saying, like, she should go home and deal with her kids, right? Like, I think we would, though. Like, okay, I think we would for the reason that if a man had the like training in combat that she had, which is none. Mm-hmm. And a man has like demonstrated not very great political maneuvering like she has. And the man has a family back in the keep that is like kind of under threat right now. Yeah. And he is like grown up there and knows all the Lords around there and is able to like successfully take care of that place in a way to keep it strong. I would say send them back. Yeah, that's fair. And she doesn't have... Because this society is set up this way, she just doesn't really have any power. Like, I was thinking, like, we wouldn't tell Ned Stark if he was, like, leading their army to go back. But that's because he would be the head of the army. But she is not. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, yeah, it's not because she's a woman. It's because of how the society is set up. That it's, like, honestly the most effective place for her to be is back at Winterfell, making sure her sons don't go crazy. Because one of them is going crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I... Which, not a great way to set up your society, guys. (laughs) Just saying. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Um, 
when so Tyrion makes a bunch of really dope moves in these chapters Tyrion kind of like flexes a little bit which is like it's pretty cool to see one of the one of the moves he makes is sending away all of Cersei's guards and he sends them north to go with Cleos Frey or Cleon Frey Cleos I think Cleos Frey to basically tell Ned Stark that there's no way they're gonna or tell Rob Stark that there's no way they're gonna agree to their demands and like give them some ridiculous demands in response and it's said at one point that he sends a hundred Lannister guardsmen north what how can you just do that so a hundred Lannisters show up at Rob's gate and are like hey we brought this guy back what does Rob do like this is getting to the point where it's almost a a force like it's right it's half the size well actually it's around the size of the force that attacked yorin which is like a scouting party at that point if rob sees a hundred lannisters riding up he's gonna slaughter them he probably would be like yeah you shouldn't have sent this many people you didn't need this many people i'm not gonna feed all these lannisters because they're watching over this guy no Right. I'm going to kill it. Like, this is a war. You can't just send a bunch of troops up to me. I'm not going to take it. It's like how many. And the question is, if he does take it, how many can you send? Well, so, okay. So, Rob sends an escort with um, the Lannister messenger guy. Yeah, that's the Frey guy who's giving their demands to right. the Lannisters. Yeah. But it's like six people. Or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I get the sense it's like less than a dozen. Yeah. And they keep them like outside of the castle or outside of the city. And I guess just let them stay out there and then meet up with them on the way out and go back. Right. So like I imagine if they sent back like another six people that are Lannisters, it'd be fine. Right. But right. okay, yeah, sure. You guys can stay outside of our camp. Will like have a guard on you and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. But if it's a hundred, if it's a, does he say a hundred? He says a hundred guards at one point. Yeah, if it's a yeah. hundred, they're like, yeah, no, <laughs> you can't stay here. Especially because a hundred guards is enough to be like a raiding party on your supply lines. A hundred guards is like a sizable force, and you're not going to put one person to guard a hundred guards. You're going to need like a good portion of your army to make sure these guys aren't doing anything. You're going to say no. Go home. Yeah, I, I think if you're Rob, maybe you don't slaughter them immediately. Right. But maybe you're like, if you guys don't go home, I'm killing you tomorrow. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And so it sounds really cool for Tyrion to do that. And maybe he just doesn't know the like how wars work in that way because he's never he's never been a commander. So right. He's just like, whatever, they'll take him. But no, and I mean, if I was Rob, you'd be like, all right, drop all your weapons and your armor and everything and then just walk, like start walking. (laughs) And now we have all your like stuff. Right. Thanks. (laughs) But like, I mean, Tyrion makes this like play where he's like, yeah, I put I put four sneaky people in there. I got some sneaky guys in there. They're going to help out. Maybe get get Jamie out of there. But like. They're going to let none of them stay. Right. Or they're going to pick four random ones out of a hundred and be like, yeah, you guys can stay. <laughs> Everybody else leave. We're not going to watch over you. It's absurd. I mean, maybe not. We'll see how, we'll see what Rob does with them. Yeah. But like, oh, guys. 
So the last thing that I have written down <clears throat> is there's a, I think there's a Sansa chapter where, so obviously Sansa's life kind of sucks, right? Really bad, really yeah. bad, yeah. And she's like, man, I wish I was um, like back at Winterfell with like Bran and Rickon, like they're probably killing it. And she's like, and Arya's probably back there too, like just dancing around. It's like, ooh, <laughs> Arya is not in a good situation. Arya's not loving it. Sansa. Arya is in, I think, almost like obviously the whole series and like a lot of the situations are super dark. Yeah, but Arya's situation is so dark. <laughs> Yeah, Arya sees some some very serious shit in her time. Yeah. And Ar- you can also kind of hear Arya turning dark. Like, Arya basically becomes Batman from Bruce Wayne, where starts off in this, like, really privileged life, and then sees some... I would say even worse than Batman, because Batman just has his parents killed in front of him, but Arya has, like, literally anybody she ever cares about murdered in front of her. And throughout this, she's slowly becoming just more, like, hate-filled and wants yeah. to kill literally everyone around her. And it's just this dark, brooding kid, like, nine-year-old. Yeah. I mean, when you list off the things that, like, happen around her... Oh, my God. It's so bad. She's gonna... Ha- she. I don't really know exactly what, a, what it is, but she's gonna have a crazy character arc, I think. She's gonna need some counseling. That's <laughs> for sure. Oh, man. Uh, we promised we'd talk about Daenerys. There was only one Daenerys chapter in this whole section. Yeah, and even it wasn't that significant. We're going to talk about Daenerys, though. Okay, sure. So, Daenerys goes into Karth. It's Q, but I'm going to say Karth. I say Karth, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so she gets into Karth, and the people of Karth are basically like high elves from fantasy. They have these sorcerers, and the buildings are all cool and weird architecture and it's like a utopia in a way and they mention that there's like slaves to help attend to her every need and this is this is common in literally every culture in the continent that's not westeros where they just have slaves everywhere to do everything for them um we i mean we often like dunk on westeros a lot but Slavery is pretty popular everywhere else. Westeros is kind of killing it on that regard. Yeah. So when you first hear about this, I think it's pretty, like, you would say, like, oh, why does she even want to go to Westeros? Like, this sounds dope. Right. And then you're like, oh, they're, uh, like, everything is built and maintained by just slaves. Right. Like, Daenerys' whole life. She has been attended to by slaves. Yeah. Dothraki slaves. And then, I mean, Karth. I, I, has, has it been mentioned in Karth? I mean, I'm sure there are. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So when she's at the palace of this dude, uh, Zaro, which, actually, real quick about Zaro, she meets all these people and has a few interactions with them. And then as soon as she gets to Zaro's house, which she's already talked about a few times, she mentioned that he's got a bedazzled nose. And it's like, Daenerys, why is this not the first thing you tell us about this guy? That he went to town with a bedazzler on his honker. And it sounds like it's a lot of jewels that are on his nose. Mm-hmm. She lists several. It's like, dude, I want to know this right off the bat, Daenerys. Yeah, that's, yeah. 
that's an important character piece. <laughs> anyway, she gets to the like his house and is immediately attended by just an army of slaves. Mm-hmm. Just like everywhere else she's been in her life. Which I guess if you're Daenerys wouldn't be that weird. Yeah. But I just think like Westeros is doing a... Westeros is surprisingly progressive. (laughs) Right. Pretty good job, Westeros. (laughs) And in fact, Jorah, who is attending to Daenerys, was sent away because of slaves. Right. Yeah, yeah. And he he tried to bring slavery. He was like, hey, slavery is cool, right? (laughs) And everybody in Westeros was like, what? No. (laughs) Get out of here, dude. Yeah, everyone in Westeros is like, it's 2018, man. (laughs) Come on. It's time. No more slavery. He's like, oh, man. Yeah, that's a good point because, I mean, like I said, it's it does make it seem like. So, OK, so Westeros is the main place of the, of these books. Yeah. Right. But Westeros kind of seems shitty compared to these other places. Yeah. Yeah. Except for when you think about like how actually backwards they are right Um, and because westeros westeros seems shitty because we're we're always getting the perspective of a noble in westeros and in the other continent we're also always getting the perspective of a noble which is daenerys and so from the noble's perspective daenerys places sound way cooler but in fact it's probably a good thing that westeros seems shittier from a noble's perspective yeah because it means for people like like if we were there we we wouldn't be as fucked right right we would we wouldn't be as completely screwed because at least the nobles have to do something (laughs) whereas in daenerys daenerys land yeah it's just slaves run everything yeah the wealth distribution or the wealth disparity in westeros is pretty high but not nearly as high as it is in the other places Right, so, uh, I guess, good job, Westeros? Yeah, kind I mean, of. I, I think it might be just, like, a more of a bad job everywhere else. Yeah, bad job everywhere else. <laughs> I think that's completely fair. Bad job everywhere else. We're not going to say anything about Westeros, because it's still a bad job. Right. Just <laughs> not quite as bad. Uh, because we promised to talk about Daenerys, how not cool is Daenerys being with Jorah? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I didn't really think about it. Oh, dude, she's being a complete <laughs> asshole to Jorah. Uh, so she realizes that Jorah's like in love with her. Right. And she also realizes that she could never love him back. And so it's like, all right, so you've accepted that. <coughs> That's a good. It's important. And then keeps like giving him signals like she's interested mm. because she feels bad for him. At the end of the last Daenerys chapter, she, like, leans in close and gives him a, like, tender kiss on the cheek after she tells him something. And it's like, you didn't have to do that, Daenerys. You're being a jerk. You know you're never gonna, you know. Right. Like, Jorah's kind of into you, and you know it, and you're kind of taking advantage of him. Yeah. And, like, she doesn't need to. He's already, like, completely loyal to her she doesn't need to manipulate him into thinking he can get it. Like that doesn't matter for him at all. Although maybe it does. Right. I mean, maybe, but I feel like probably not. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it at this point. Yeah. And he, cause he's never like come out and been like, Hey, 
Right. He's never made an effort. She just can tell. Yeah. And so she doesn't have to play into his fantasy that she thinks he has. But she's still doing it. Constantly. Yeah, that is kind of a jerk move. I can see it. It's like Daenerys, come on. That's rude. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's that's it with Daenerys right now. Hopefully we get more Daenerys. I don't know. I can't promise anything else about this, Daenerys. This is the first time I've read a book with dragons where I haven't really been that interested in the dragons. Yeah, they seem kind of like cats right now. Yeah. In that they everything they do is like what a cat would do. Yeah, which, I mean, that's just because they're young. I'm sure when they grow up in this series, I'll be all about it. Um, I hope so. I hope they're not like cats <laughs> when they grow up. Because that would still be awful. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, there, there's there's one last thing, Luke. Okay. About just a little detail that I saw that doesn't really make sense. So the... Well, I'm not going to say it doesn't make sense. The Bloody Mummers... Mm-hmm. These cell swords that Arya meets in Harrenhal that Lord Tywin Lannister hired. When they ride in, they ride in on horses that are striped black and white. Which originally sounds very cool. Like they're riding zebras into battle. But those horses don't exist on Westeros anywhere. Right. This is like the first time we've seen striped horses. And it seems like it's kind of a big deal because they're riding them, right? And so it kind of separates them apart from everyone. And there was reference to zebras on the walls of Karth. There was reference to animals with stripes. And um, I think Daenerys mentioned their zebros or zobros or something. I thought she like- said like zorses or something like that. Yeah, something like that where it's like, okay, we know you're going for zebras with that. <laughs> but okay. Uh, so... But they're riding them into combat. And if that's their thing, how many horses die in combat, Luke? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Because, I mean, how many Zorses do they have? Is that what your point? Yeah, they've got to have so many Zorses at the ready <laughs> for when their horses die in combat. That's, so they're just constantly able to have a yeah. a zebra to ride into Th- that. That's a lot of money spent for a gimmick. Yeah. I So, okay, I think that's a good point. I thought that maybe they were just painting horses. <laughs> I hope this is the case. Because I don't, I mean, that seems easier. <laughs> yeah, but when it's revealed, it's it would be so much worse. Like, everyone would make fun of you. If yeah. you were like, that's not a zebra. <laughs> I've seen a horse before. You just painted that one. That's not even cool, dude. Um, So, I don't know. I mean, it it seems like a huge extravagance for them. And they're like sellswords that are probably not getting paid that much. Well, so maybe Tywin is really bad with money. <laughs> and these guys were like, hey, we ride zebras into battle and we cost this much because we have to replace our zebras when they die. And Tywin's like, only the best. <laughs> That's... <laughs> And before, they were like, how do we get Tywin to pay us more money? Well, we could just ride zebras. Oh, there's no way he would pay for that. And they propose it to him, and he's like, oh, just zebras? All right, well, you can join the giraffe regiment over there. (laughs) Yeah, maybe he's just 
we don't get that many like close up chapters with him. Um, but it's always very heavily implied that he's like awesomely like, or really well, well thought of strategically and everything else. But uh, we don't know if that's true. He hired zebra riders. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Maybe he's just like, that sounds awesome. Yes. Yes to the zebras. <laughs> but sir, this will bankrupt us in two months. I don't care. <laughs> we'll have some wonder on this continent before I die. Damn it. Or maybe he's like looking out for the morale of his troops. And he wants them to know that they're part of an army that has some zebras. Right. That the people that ride the zebras like murder people for looking at them funny. It sounds like that would really help with morale. Yeah, fair point. <laughs> and you have a guy that like tortures peasants anywhere he goes that's part of your army. I'm talking about the tickler now, which is a great great name for somebody who tortures people to death we love that <laughs> so yeah I, i'm sure Taiwan is really looking out for troop morale with those zebras that he hired yeah that's what it's for oh my god um yeah so uh hopefully you didn't get too annoyed by luke coughing every five seconds <laughs> um if he's not better by next episode, this could be our last. Uh, yeah, if I'm not better by next episode, I'll probably be dead, honestly. Right. So, um, I will have taken over full control as Lord Regent of the podcast by next episode, potentially. Um, and we're going to be reading the next quarter. Mm-hmm. If Luke's still around, we'll be uh, about 75% of the way through A Clash of Kings. You know, if he's not, I guess I'll just be coming at you with hot takes and we'll only have one dumb nerd